Hi, I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And welcome to Trendline. So, Nick, we're back. I've re-emerged from my hyperbaric chamber, as have you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> and now, uh, post-election, we've got some fallout. We've had Green Party leader Elizabeth May has resigned. Uh, we've got a little bit... It looks like the knives are out for Conservative leader uh, Andrew Scheer. We'll get into that later. So, where are we to start off with the uh, popular support? Well, when we look at the popular support, it's actually a continuation of the trend uh, from the last uh, federal election. There's just basically one percentage point between the conservatives and the liberals. So, you know, we talked about the election outcome, you know, ridings. The liberals won the greatest number of ridings in our first past the post system. But person to person, vote to vote, uh, the liberals do not have the advantage uh, over the conservatives. And uh, the I'll call it the popular opinion gridlock when it comes to support mm. for each of the parties on a percentage basis nationally continues. Now, just to go over the, those results uh, from the election, the Conservatives, of course, actually got more popular support than the Liberals. It's always important to point out. And the Liberals got more seats. So what the heck happened? Well, this speaks to the you know the system. If this was a proportional, if we were in a, a, a democracy that had proportional representation, and I just say this as an observation. It has nothing to do with what people might like or dislike. The conservatives mm-hmm. would have been awarded the greatest number of seats because they won. Uh, they actually had more votes than the liberals. And I think this is this should be kind of what should if this should be. I don't know if it's a dark cloud, but this is what should be hanging over the liberals. That even though they have the greatest number of seats in the House of Commons, that they have what some might consider a strong minority position. The fact of the matter is. A significant proportion of Canadians did not vote for the Liberals, and uh, and that even in the during the election result, and at least now in the week or so after the election, more Canadians uh, mathematically would be supporting the Conservatives compared to the Liberals. Now, even though that's the case, this is surprising to me. The Conservatives actually uh, gained, I guess, up to twenty six seats from you know if you're counting from dissolution, their popular support. Uh, went up, I believe, 2.5 percentage points. And yet we're getting critics, including former Conservative cabinet minister Peter McKay, uh, suggesting that Scheer didn't do very well. I think we're going to run a clip now from Peter McKay. What went wrong? Well, I'm going to be very honest with you. I think there was a number of issues that became very prevalent in this election that nobody other than the politicos wanted to talk about. People did not want to talk about women's reproductive rights. They didn't want to talk about revisiting the issue of same-sex marriage. And yet that was thrust onto the agenda uh, and hung around Andrew Scheer's neck like a, a stinking albatross, quite frankly. And he wasn't able to deftly uh, deal with those issues when, when the opportunities arose. And I think among female voters in particular and those who would have been impacted by any and any revisitation, uh, it created a, a nervousness or it took them out of their comfort zone if they were considering voting conservative. So pretty harsh words from McKay. Uh, he's suggesting that one of the reasons why Shear didn't do as well as I guess McKay hoped he would was he didn't get enough support from women because of his uh, views on abortion, that that issue kept popping up. Yeah, uh, is there any is there any truth to that? Well, you know what's interesting, Michael, is that I was at that event. That was at the Wilson Center in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I was the keynote ahead of him, giving a a breakdown on the election. 
Uh, I was mm-hmm. quite surprised uh, at what uh, what Peter McKay said. It was a very uh, he very, gave a very uh, frank and direct assessment. Um, I think the issue. I'd, I'd I'd like to add a bit of nuance uh, to the critique of of Peter McKay. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with how Andrew Scheer responded to those issues. Uh, he could have he could have easily he could have easily responded when you know the the liberals specifically tried to to pin him on abortion. He could have easily have said, "I'm pro life. Everybody knows that. I'm a Roman Catholic personally, but mm-hmm. the abortion debate has occurred." No one wants to talk about abortion. This election is not about abortion. And next question, please. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think it's it's just, uh, as Peter McKay points out, his positions on social issues. I think it was the way Andrew Scheer uh, handled them. And he should have quite, you know, and I think for, for some... For some voters, uh, specifically women, they would just wonder. Uh, I don't think women have a problem with anyone having a position on abortion, whether it's pro-choice or pro-life. At least most women right. don't have a problem with that. But uh, I think what would have helped Andrew Shear is just an acknowledgement to say that, you know what, the abortion debate is over. This is my personal view, and my personal choice would be pro-life. Uh, but mm. uh, that's the past. This election isn't about that. No one wants to talk about abortion, and let's talk about the future. So, I think part of the challenge for Andrew Scheer wasn't uh, wasn't. I don't think it's. I don't think it's very just dependent on his personal views because there are many. There are there are liberals that uh, that are pro uh, pro life, and mm-hmm. that are Roman Catholic, and that are are devout individuals. Uh, depending on whatever faith group they're part of, and they they're pro life, and that, that hasn't really hampered them. But I think this is where you kind of you got to delineate between your personal views and what the what the law of the land is. And I think uh, I think that's where Andrew Shear kind of uh, didn't do as well. I think as as some conservatives would have hoped. We're also dealing with a situation here where I don't think anyone expected really uh, the liberals to do so badly in this election if you go back two years i i I don't i don't really you know pre-snc lavalin scandal i'm not sure if anyone thought that there was a chance that this would be a one-term liberal government so it's this criticism towards Scheer, even though he got increased his seat count by 26 uh raised his popular support it's it's it seems a bit premature i suppose um well i I think for some of those uh conservative advocates they just see those as kind of mistakes that are made that are self-inflicted, um, mm-hmm. right? Uh, his response on uh, on the abortion issue, uh, clarification related to his U.S. citizenship, um, trying to explain whether he had the credentials related to the being an insurance broker or not, and and all of those all of those should have been dealt with in advance and all of those were self-inflicted for all intents and purposes. And I think that's why there are probably some individuals in the conservative tribe that are just frustrated. I think they saw that the liberals were vulnerable. They saw that Justin Trudeau's brand was not as strong as before, that they were dogged by controversies such as the SNC-Lavalin issue, and that uh, they they felt that the, the liberals were vulnerable. And let's face it, the liberals were vulnerable. You know, they've lost the popular support. We can't, you know, we should not diminish that, that they lost the popular mm-hmm. support that they and, and that they are and they continue to be vulnerable. And I think that just speaks to the level of frustration that some conservative uh, supporters have that uh, even even with 
Andrew Scheer winning the popular vote, winning more se- winning more uh, seats than the last election, it's uh, it's it's not the victory that conservatives would have hoped, considering uh, the vulnerability of j- not just Justin Trudeau but the Liberals writ large. Now, Green Party leader Elizabeth May has chosen to resign. Um, is is that a surprise to you, given how well her party did in this election? Well, it was a surprise to me um, because. You know, the thing is, is that the Greens did do better than uh, the 2015 election. They probably didn't do as well as they had hoped. Uh, Elizabeth May is a big part of the Green brand. She's very well versed on, uh, you know, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with Elizabeth May, she knows her file. She knows uh, her vision for the country and she knows uh, she knows what she'd like to see happen on the environment. And she's been very effective on those fronts. So I think this was more of a personal decision and no one can really anticipate personal decisions that politicians have uh, when it comes to winding down or changing their uh, their their kind of public service as an elected official so I think this is a bit of a surprise it's going to be very interesting you know I think I think for anyone that's part of the environmental movement they should be intrigued I think still with the greens you know maybe they didn't do as well as some people had hoped but the fundamentals are there uh, they're part of a global movement, and that global movement is 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 more and more successful in in major democracies around the world. Uh, provincially, the Greens are doing better than they ever have, and are the opposition in uh, PEI, and uh, have seats in other provinces. and And I just think they're that the Greens are in an interesting space because they're kind of on the right issue at the right time. The environment is still a top unprompted national issue of concern that's very important for many mm-hmm. Canadians and uh, they're very well positioned I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see who uh, who comes out and throws their hat in the ring to be the next uh, leader of the Green Party of Canada because I think this the Greens remain a party to watch especially if they can if they can get a leader that can help uh, mobilize young people now uh, let's talk about the NDP uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's party uh, I believe he went down 3.9 percentage points in popular support. He lost a lot of seats in Quebec. Uh, what's their position like in this new minority government? Well, their their position is is generally strong because they have they have the Liberals that have the greatest number of seats, and the Liberals and the New Democrats overlap on a lot of the big issues, uh, like uh, a national a proposed national pharmacare program and on many environmental issues. So. You know, the, the, they didn't do as well as 2015 under Tom Mulcair, but he exceeded expectations. And, uh, and you know, that's, you have to, and his personal brand is actually quite strong and remains, remains strong coming out of the election. You know, I think maybe the big winner in this last federal election was Jagmeet Singh in terms of the positive impressions that Canadians have of him. And uh, he, does, he does quite well compared to, to all of the federal party leaders on that front. That said, I think for Jagmeet Singh, uh, as opposed to what I'll say, supporting potentially supporting the Liberals in the House of Commons, I'll call it support by paper cut, like on little things across the board. <laughs> I think I think for Jagmeet Singh, his best path forward is to uh, is to have one or two big asks of the Liberals that he would have as a condition to uh, periodically prop them up in the House so that they are not defeated. Uh, one of them could be related to pharmacare. It could be related to democratic renewal. It could be related to the environment or pipelines. Because I think for one of the challenges for parties that end up periodically supporting what I'll say the party with the greatest number of seats in the House of Commons is that they just get 
crushed as as it just looks like they're propping up uh, another party. So that's why I think mm. Jagmeet Singh has to kind of narrow his ask and pick one or two things so that he could try to claim at least that, hey, if it wasn't for me and the New Democrats, we wouldn't have the National Pharmacare Program or we wouldn't have this new di- dialogue on democratic renewal. So I think he's got to pick a couple big asks and put them on the table so that he at least shows that he's accomplished something uh, as, as a party that in Parliament at least periodically supported the Liberals. So I would be remiss if I didn't compare your eve of the election survey results with the actual results. Nick, you did incredibly well. I can say that. Um, you are incredibly close with your uh, with your survey results. Um, were there any surprises, though? Yeah, well, uh, I tend to be fairly harsh on myself. Not perfect, but mm. good. Uh, you know, five of the six parties were pretty well bang on, and for a couple of the parties within like half a percentage point. Uh, the NDP mm-hmm. numbers were a little higher than what we estimated yep. on Sunday. That said, all of the all of the pollsters did well, so we should not, uh, you know, Michael, your listeners should not be thinking that uh, that you know not just uh, Nanos did okay in this uh, election. All of the pollster, all the major pollsters, pretty well uh, did uh, did fine in this election, but. You know, I think mm. the one uh, the one surprise for me, at least, is when uh, I looked at my NDP numbers. Uh, it's quite possible that uh, the NDP were not able to convert that goodwill that they had built up with Jagmeet Singh. They had they didn't have as much money as the Liberals and the Conservatives. They didn't have the same amount of organization. They're late to the game, and they picked up mm-hmm. steam only at the very end of the campaign. And I'm not sure whether they were able to deliver on some of that goodwill. And I think the other thing that potentially happened was. Uh, was that uh, you know the conservatives at one point that were talking about forming a majority government um, that that might have uh, that might have spooked some uh, some new Democrats. But all set, uh, polling was good. The industry did well, and uh, we did what we're supposed to do, which was to uh, capture the pulse, uh, which we did, and uh, and add to the narrative of the election. Now, in our our first post-election trendline episode, is there any big takeaway for this one? The takeaway. How about this? No honeymoon. Why don't we put a spike in any honeymoon for the liberals? You know, in 2015, Justin Trudeau's numbers went up. The Liberal Party support went up. You know, people were very hopeful. So no honeymoon. So let's just uh, skip honeymoon. Go directly to try to govern is probably the key takeaway right now when we look at the polling data. And Nick, as always, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at N-I-K Nick Nanos or on the web at www.nanos.co. And I'm on Twitter at Michael Siddle. This podcast is produced by Trevor Coral, Jesse Taharali, and Phil Hahn. Our executive producer is Liz Travers. Sound editing is done by Jesse Taharali. Thanks for listening. <laughs>